do. And I am going to disappoint you by having no audio visuals, no small dances at the start to keep your attention. I'm just going to talk. And what I want is us is to be open in this 40 minutes of our lives just to what God's saying to us. It's not just about Africa. I always feel like it begins with us. And um, on First Priority Sunday, we want to talk about two topics specifically which link to Africa and also to Australia. So today I'm going to explore the two topics that have become our passion and our theme in Africa and Australia. Alongside empowering the poor physically, we think it's very important to empower the poor and ourselves spiritually. So the two topics we're very passionate about are suffering and God's sovereignty and what is the true gospel that Jesus preached. In the last two years, we have started to link with the pastor in Kenya, Eli, that runs a Bible school and has a powerful testimony and a teaching gift and he also has the same two passions. This is actually his main ministry and as I'll talk about what he spoke to us about, you'll see why. So today's talk I've titled Salvation, Suffering and God's Sovereignty or translation into modern Facebook slang, Trust God, Relax, Everything is Out of Your Control. <laughs> so there is three types of suffering that the Bible talks about. There's persecution of faith, so the Syrian Christians. There's disciplining and chastisement of God when we do go into disobedience and God disciplines us to bring us back. And then there's a refiner's fire. I must say, I think the refiner's fire is probably the most unpleasant and sometimes it can become very confusing because it's not because you're in active disobedience. It's, it's God's doing something far greater. And I like how he called us the rods in the fire. Was that it? Hot irons or rods or something? Because that's very apt for what we've been going through. So the scriptures I want to talk about, I'm just going to have check my Facebook. I'm only joking. Um, <laughs> is Romans 8, 18. For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. When I read these scriptures, I don't want you to think about suffering Biafrans that are in a famine. I want you to think about what you yourselves have gone through and maybe what some of you are actually going through now. 1 Peter 5, verse 10. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will restore and confirm. The New Living Translation says, I have told you this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. 1 Peter 1 verse 7 says, that So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise. Psalm 66.10, For you, God, tested us to purify us like silver. I must say, I don't think that suffering is a really overly popular topic. Um, and unless you are actually suffering, have gone through something really deep, that's when you crave it. You want to hear people talking about it. You want to hear what people have gone through and what they've learned through it because it can become very alienating and lonely. I think there is a powerful liberating doctrine of suffering in the scriptures, but we don't really hear about it very often. But does doctrine really matter? I've heard lots of people say, I hate doctrine. Doctrine just divides. Doctrine doesn't matter. Does what you think about suffering matter? What does God actually promise in the Bible? Never will I leave you. When you walk through the fire, I'll be there. Does God also promise your best life now? No cancer or healing from cancer, healing from all diseases, husbands, babies, jobs, cars, houses, and the complete steak knife set? 
When you're not healed or delivered from a hard place, is it the devil? Is it a lack of your faith? Is it sin or is God in control? Does all things work together for good mean that you get the answer to your prayer? Or could it be all things work for your spiritual good, sometimes by denying you of your prayer? And could it also be it works together for your eternal good? Even if you think you don't like doctrine, you have one. It's actually what you think about God and how you interpret what happens to you in your life. So now on to Africa and our inspiration. Pastor Eli sent me a letter and I think uh, it's important I read it and it will show you clearly why and how much the doctrine of suffering affects our lives and why and how we respond to suffering and why we are joining this powerful blessing of a man, Eli, in Africa. So when my wife and I lost our first child as a newly married couple in 2003, a girl called Whitney. The turmoil that ensued was chaotic in my soul, perhaps more so few, more so for my new faith-filled wife. How could a good God whom I served faithfully let the devil overrun me like this? The well-meaning church people who came to me suggested in different ways that our calamity was due to either a sin in my life or some curse. My grieving wife and I would spend many months repenting in case there was hidden sin. We also sought answers from our families in case there was a generational curse. In this painful ordeal, in inner turmoil, in the context of bereavement, we became pregnant again. This time, the desire of my heart would be born. From hospital that sunny afternoon, my wife and I, jubilant in our final triumph, took Robin home. Then the next 24 hours would be the darkest period that the Lord, yes, the Lord, took us through. Baby Robin developed complications and we went into a frenzy of prayer, spiritual warfare and a wild net of intercessory appeal had gone forth. This time we were not caught off guard, or so we thought, and faith had assured us that the devil would not take Robin from us. It would be past midnight when I would cave in as the child grew worse, and some prophetic word indicated that the healing of our son had been placed into the hands of a doctor. So off I left with my boy clutched in my hands. At the Coast General Hospital at 3am, the doctor looked at me, a faith-filled preacher, and declared the worst news I could possibly have heard, Robin was dead. To say my world collapsed around me is a huge understatement, yet to date I still do not know how to put words to words the millions of chaotic feelings that assailed me. I know I screamed, I am tired, Lord, and it was a disappointment at God. I vowed I would quit the ministry. I officially stepped into a crisis of faith. I took the dead child back in my arms and started back home. Coming home to my wife, she was drained to the bones. She looked up at me in a state of delirium and denial. She said, he's all right now, bring him, I want to feed him. She couldn't have chosen worse words. I don't know that I have screamed from the deepest recesses of my guts like that dark morning. She and I would literally fight for the child as she madly sought to wrench the dead body from my hands. What we believed about suffering made this a more horrific event. And after five years of this crisis and a lot of study and prayer, my doctrine has radically changed. I, Eli Achok, was a passionate, faith-filled, word-faith preacher in Kenya. But now, through this suffering, I have come to see the glorious hope, joy and anchor to the soul that reassures me that suffering is a part of God's plan sometimes and my sanctification, and it's for my good and, in fact, can even be a powerful testimony to the world. The world is not looking for Christians floating along. Their lives are so easy, like the devil said to Job, he praises you for nothing. You've given him everything. There's no The, the world is looking for a real faith that can that, that is a miraculous faith that we can say... God, I'm going to worship you. 
I now spend my life training pastors and educating African Christians how to safely trust God in the good and the bad times. And let me assure you, in Africa, there's a lot of bad times. This is one of the biggest doctrinal problems in Kenya that causes so much pain and confusion. The faith word doctrine that is sweeping Africa and Australia and America is worse than Ebola. It promises men fulfillment of their covetousness and promises heaven on earth. Why have thou hidden the gospel of the suffering lamb? Why art thou slow to call out the sin and depravity of our fallen hearts? Then men might seek a saviour and not the solver of their problems. They might then embrace the biblical faith of not a materialistic pursuit of self-actualization. Where is the message of taking up your cross and following me? And considering that the sufferings of this present age are not worth comparing to the glory that shall be revealed in us, Romans 8. For the apostle elsewhere insists that such momentary afflictions work for us an eternal weight of glory. While we look at the things that are not seen but the ones that are unseen, 2 Corinthians. That is why we not only embrace biblical doctrine of suffering, we rejoice in it. We're not ashamed to tread the path of our Saviour to walk the way of all the faithful in Christ. For when we suffer in many forms, we realise we are in illustrious company. So his story continues. Five years later, last year, end of last year, we all prayed for him as his wife, her life was threatened and their fifth child was now, it was looking very critical. So all is well in the providence of God. And by the time we came again to real danger, this time much worse, of, looking, of losing both my wife and child, I prayed, as did many of you at Eastgate, that God would be pleased to see us safely through this rough passage. Yet our faith was different. It would not be shaken from God. His goodness did not hang in the balance pending the outcome of our ordeal. He would be the loving God we love, whether he delivered us from it, as he did, praise his name, or he chose not to deliver us from it, as it happened in those dark days. Now our hearts say, whatever my lot you have taught me to say, it is well with my soul. For the God of the mountain is still the God of the valley. The God of the day is still the God of the do- night. And the God of the good times is still the God of the bad times. So af- in Africa, these events are frequent. This is why it's so important. Life, di- life expectancy in Congo, where we've been involved probably for the last five years, is 44. So you're going to die of something and pretty early. Diarrhea kills approximately 25% of kids under five. That's easily treatable. So one in every four children you will have will die. Malaria is still Africa's biggest killer, alongside war, famine, and easily present preventable diseases. A friend of mine who's a doctor worked in Africa, and she told me I couldn't go back. It was so devastating. She saw a, a 19-year-old boy die of an asthma attack in front of her because they didn't have Ventolin. So these people who love Jesus and, like us, are born again are experiencing this frequently and this is why our Africa vision is morphing not just into meeting the physical needs of Africans but also training them up spiritually to, to, to not feel that God has abandoned them in their suffering but training them in that solid doctrine to build their house on the rock so when the waves come that they won't be shaken. Two weeks ago, Eli sent us an email regarding his good friend and another pastor called Pastor Daniel. They had, he was missing for several days and then they found him. He was graphically tortured and beaten to death and they found him on the side of the road. He left behind a wife, Salome, a Christian wife, and five children and no way now to afford their rent. Thankfully, Salome, in her great grief, loss and poverty and homelessness, has a deep understanding of the God who is, in, who is the fourth man in the fire. The God who will walk with her in her pain. 
Eli weekly preaches about suffering to empower, empower his family to say, come what may. Not everything will make sense and some things will actually only make sense in eternity. On hearing and reading Eli's material from his Bible college in Kenya, it really resonated with us. Because since I've been going to Africa in 2005, it's really confronting when you see Christians that have gone through so much and yet they have this miraculous ability to trust and, and worship God. Like the boy I saw when I started a project before I met Rich of the children that had been mutilated. I've told this story before. They have their hands cut off and their noses and ears and lips cut off. And when I put a little... Uh, I arranged this cheap little device so they could eat food and also they could write. And um, the first thing he wrote was, Thank you, Jesus. And, and I've always marvelled at that, um, that God's really, that that's the deeper miracle of faith to me. So we asked Eli, we thought, wow, we're in DRC Congo, life expectancy is 44. People, there are a lot of the women we're working with have been uh, used as sex slaves. They've got uh, children from the sex slavery. They've got the usual diarrhoea, disease, killing their children, war, famine. And um, we thought, we need to get Eli here. We cannot insult them by trying to tell them, you know, it's okay, God has a purpose for you, whatever we would, you know, I just thought, I just need to get Eli here, we need an African to really minister to them, what he's gone through and what, wh have just the comfort that's there in the scriptures. Um, and so he taught, there was, uh, he went for two weeks and um, he taught 500 pastors um, that lived in deep poverty and he taught them on those two favourite topics of suffering and God's sovereignty and what is the true gospel that Jesus preached. And it was absolutely brilliant. In fact, when I emailed him two nights ago, I emailed back and said, a woman from Congo somehow managed to call him. She said, he said, I don't, that call must have cost a fortune. But just to say, two years later, that was so helpful and powerful. And thank you so much for coming. Um, we do plan to send him again in the next year or two. We also have a few other things that we'd love to do in Africa. Um, one of them, it's quite... In Quite, um, there's no children here, so I can probably say it. it's quite intense. But basically, in Africa, there is a few things that go on that are just unbelievable. One of them is that um, there's a really horrible train of thought that if you have AIDS, that if you rape a baby, that you will be cured. So there's a lot of children, babies, two-year-olds that are being graphically raped that bad that they're dying or that they're actually um, having to have repeated surgeries for the damage that's been done. Um, and I recently heard about a um, non-Christian organisation that's set up a safe house and both Richard and I talked about it and thought we'd love to do something like that. where the, uh, Because one of the stories they talked about was a child that was brutally raped repeatedly. Then when she escaped that situation, her, her, her parents then beat her thinking she was cursed for the sin of being raped. And um, we want to reach out to these people just for the love of God and um, to see them healed of all their hurts and pain. So Eli was brought into our lives as well just at the right time because we personally were working through our own um, journey of suffering and also working out our own doctrine of suffering as we were going through a bit of a trial. And um, really what we felt is we want to abide in the truth. We want our doctrine to be biblical and universal. The God of Byron Bay Church is the same God as the poorest African churches. And we need to make sense of how Christians suffer over there and also have our own suffering. And today, even as I talk about African suffering, I don't want to belittle what we may be going through in this congregation because God never belittles it, um, that we all have things that God's working through in our lives. So this comes to a very personal thing, and it was when I prayed about it, it was really hard to know how much to share because there's so much to share. Um, Rich and I have been trying to have a child for six years, but we began IVF five years ago. Um, and two weeks ago, our last embryo died. 
So that's the end of our IVF journey. Thankfully, I already had been teary in worship, so I was like, I don't really want to cry today. It's just, you know, not my thing. Um, I'm an ugly crier, so um, anyway, um, we just felt so much peace. But let me say, the last five years, there has been a radical turmoil, which has turned us inside out and upside down. And um, the reason why I share it is I want to encourage others that if you're in that place, that that it's okay. It, and it's very hard because it's hard to make sense of it all. So for, for us, I guess IVF, all I can say is it's a very traumatic experience. Some people do IVF, and I had two of my Christian friends, which was probably not overly helpful, were, you know, obviously went through the trauma of having to do IVF, um, and then they did one, and they fell pregnant straight away, and I was like, ooh, ouch. That was like on my sixth cycle, and I was like, okay, God, I'm really happy for them. I don't, their gain is not my loss, you know, I just was like, God, we're going to do this journey, and we want to do it with you, and we want to glorify you. The first time we did it, we fell pregnant, we got to the ultrasound, there was no heartbeat, then we had to have grief uh, associated with that, we said, God, let your will be done. We were like, we, God, we want to glorify you in our pain. We want to be able to say in the dark place that you are our Lord and we, we want to accept the good and the bad from you. And, um, and yeah, it was tough because there's children here today that I know that's how old that child will be. It's not like it's a, oh, yeah, grieved over that, that's done. So then our second cycle, that failed. Then we so were like, okay, maybe God doesn't want us to have children. We thought, God, we don't want to idolize this and chase it. You might be doing something different than us and we're open to that. Second cycle failed. Okay, we're seeking you, God, what do we do? There was four gynae surgeries in there, which aren't that fun. It usually requires a week of off work and lots of pain. Um, then the first doctor who did one, then the second doctor who went in a year later said, I don't know what they did, but they didn't do what they were meant to do. I'm like, oh, that's great, God, you're sovereign, whatever. I love um, incompetent doctors. Um, love the scars on my tummy. They look really great. Um, and um, But through that's that situation we got to a point where yep god we're applying your scriptures you know i'd i'd actually before i met rich because i was 33 before i met rich i'd done the single thing and i say that with deep respect to single people it can be very 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 tough and i think we need to acknowledge and support those that are going through that um i had that experience of god you're with me i'm willing to die for you i'll apply the scriptures seek your face wait i know how to do pain i can and then your glory is going to come i know I'd sort of repeatedly done that over the years, so I kind of worked out the knack. So I thought, okay, God, I've got this. I know the theory. I surrender to you. Keep it on the altar. It's not about babies. Keep seeking your faith. And then I realized over time, as we kept going through this very dark process of um, then a new doctor saying, I know what it is. We'll try this. Flying to Sydney. Oh, we've got it now. That's why those other five cycles have failed. Just when we're ready to give up, we start looking into fostering. Oh, no, we'll try it again. And then we're like, okay, God, do we try it again? Well, I guess we don't want to live in regret. Maybe this is going to work. We pray. We felt to go on. And what I realized through around the sixth cycle when I, I actually started breaking down, I realized I was either having a nervous breakdown, the drugs that you take. For me, my cycle is three months' worth of drugs and then two weeks' worth of shooting up three times a day. I did feel like a bit of a heroin addict. It's like, wow, I'm so edgy right now. Um, my track marks are so cool. Just kidding. Um, you know, there was the three weeks of shooting up, then th and that gives it you its own side effects. Then there's a surgery, so you go under. Then there's a five-day wait. Then they put the embryo in if it survives. And then there's a two-week wait where they give you the worst drugs possible. And I always have a drug reaction for some reason. And it says on the little box, warning, very common side effects, which means one in ten. Severe depression and feelings of worthlessness. And the first time I read it, I was like, I won't be getting that. Feelings of worthlessness? How is that even a side effect? Anyway, by cycle six, I'm like, oh, yeah, I got feelings of worthlessness, people. 
I have got severe depression. I am praying, God, seriously, I want to die. I've actually, I want to die. My life, my joy of life, I had got to the point where I just was crushed. And I think the drugs had a lot to do with it, but I feel like what I've learned in retrospect is God had a lot to do with it. Because I had learned, not in disobedience, I'd learned to apply godly principles to then survive things. And God was crushing me beyond and I think it's a funny cliche I used to always use. In fact, I thought it was a scripture, that God will never give you more than you can handle. And I was like, I'm going to try and find that in the Bible. And, and I was like, no, sometimes God gives you more than you can handle because he wants to crush you. He wants to break you down. He wants to chop you off at the roots, not to hurt you, but to do something profoundly different where he actually gets the glory, where we realise God. I got to a point where I, and it, it's very painful obviously for me for, to talk about this in front of Rich because of his background. And also it's not nice in our marriage, all this stress going on and me just being like, and you hide it from your, par- your husband because you just think this is dreadful. And one of the drugs they put me on, an immunosuppressant, <coughs> had such a severe reaction and it was only later, I love how doctors don't tell you about really important side effects, that I realised... I have suicidal ideation. Like I am thinking about how I could end my life so it looked like an accident. And this went on for about three weeks and I was like, okay, I've done the praying God, take me quickly with a brain tumour. Like that would be much more glamorous. I want to glorify you. The thought of being childless into our future, seeing, you know, and I, your gain is not my loss, but being surrounded by a baby boom where I counted once 37 of my friends had had children in the period of us trying then the second round of children. And I don't say this to say, my pain's so bad, yours isn't as bad as mine, yours might be five times worse what you're going through or it might be less. But before God, it's all the same. But the principle for us is the same thing. Sometimes God reduces us to where we can't cope and it's actually strategic. And I think by the sixth cycle after the nervous breakdown and the deep depression, and the, I remember I, we were in Bali, sounds so fun, and um, I was really in a bad way. And only I knew it because I was like, these thoughts are not normal. I got back to Australia. I had to work that Sunday and I was working in the um, acute respiratory ward and this woman was like, I just looked through her notes, she's suicidal, she, the, the psych are reviewing her, she's got this really bad chest infection, she's on prednisone, which is what I was on, high doses of it. And I Googled prednisone in, in Africa, I mean, sorry, in Bali, I was just like, what is going on? And it says side effects can be psychosis and suicidal tendencies. So obviously I was weaning off it anyway because our cycle failed. Um, and I said to this woman, you need to Google the side effects of prednisone because she's like, I don't know what's going on with me. This is not me. I don't want to die normally. Like, I am done. And anyway, she Googled it, and I saw her the next day as well, and I was like, isn't it weird that the doctors didn't twig and that the psych didn't twig? But anyway, they haven't gone through that experience, so it was sort of a God thing that I got to speak to her. But um, by the sixth cycle, I sort of started realising both Rich and I, okay, well, God just started speaking to my heart. I think when you go through something, God gives you peace, which is sort of the way I've been used to wrestling and resting that, you know, there's challenges, you know, being in Africa, whatever, your life being threatened. Sometimes your life being threatened is much easier than having to live through something that's very, very painful. Um, And I just suddenly realised, wow, this is actually strategic because I kept saying, God, are you trying to kill me? Because there was all these events that kept happening. I was like, I can't cope, God. I've, I failed the test. I'm not glorifying you anymore. I can't cope. I actually just want to die. And then it was like God started showing me, I'm actually in this. I'm stripping you back. And that part of that process started, made me realise I can't do it. 
And it sounds so basic, but it was something about, I can't survive this. In fact, I real I, the only thing I could cling on to was dry bones. I'd been to the reduced to the point where I went, I'm actually dry bones. I have no life in me. I can't even cry out. I just say, I'm dry bones, God. I can, or I can cry. I can just say, God, I'm just waiting. I'm waiting for you to show up. And if you don't show up, I know I will die. Sometimes I'd wonder and think, maybe I'll never be the same person again. Anyway, through that passage, that's when things started to change because we still had this doctor who said, oh, yeah, now we've worked out. You've got these crazy killer cells. I went to Sydney. They tested my blood and they said, you've got the most out-of-control immune system we've ever seen. You're like the Terminator. Every time we put an embryo in, you destroy it. Um, and I was like, that makes sense of why I never get sick in Africa and and Nepal. I even once drunk the water in India as an experiment because I was thinking, this is crazy. I just can't even get sick. Anyway, so then I go on some other regime and, you know, there's all these things, you know, if you do three, you've got a 40% chance of it working. And they decided to give it to me for free because we basically spent three years in six cycles that were kind of like probably irrelevant. Um, and anyway, through that process, I think something broke in both of us where we suddenly, the peace of God was removed for a time so we felt the absolute pain of not having God in our situation. And God strategically removed that peace to show us how wretched we are, how much we need him. But also, by the time we got to the next, the, the ending cycles, I was like, you know what, God? When, when he showed up and his peace came, all I could think of was that scripture, a day in your courts is worth a thousand years elsewhere. I don't even care about kids anymore, God. I just want my sanity. I want your face. I just, uh, all I need is you. And suddenly the light started coming on. Now, I think if God had have given us a child at cycle four, five, maybe even six, I think our testimony and story would be a bit different. It would be probably a bit more of a victory, victory, victory story, um, which I'll go on in a minute. But I just wanted to give details just so that we, could be aw we can be aware that God does allow extreme amounts of suffering sometimes to strategically bring us to the end of ourselves and sometimes it is more than we can handle. So for those of you who are going through that or have been through that, I just want to honour you because I think it, it needs to be honoured, it needs to be acknowledged, might be the word, or seen as it's not, you're not doing something wrong, that God is doing this for a purpose. Uh, so I guess I learnt there's two types of suffering that I'd experienced in my life. And it's a bit humorous, but it's sort of true. One of them is a light toasting. And I think it's the light toasting is a bit more glamorous, um, it's a brief heat and you're brown just enough so you don't smell too foul. It usually involves an answer to prayer. It ends with victory that's obvious. And we can see the result and we like to share those stories because they do encourage us. I love those stories. I want to do light toasting, God. <laughs> Mostly the person feels uh, a sense of peace during that suffering. It might be, for example, I've had several friends that have gone through and I don't mean it to belittle at all. It's still a challenge. Um, I had a friend in Sydney who was uh, threatened with a um, breast lump and she, she had a couple of weeks wait to work out whether it was a breast lump or not and it came back clear. And that was a really intense time because it was life-threatening. Um, but then the glory of, it, you know, it, it was a good outcome. Um, or my friends who did IVF for the first cycle and they had a baby. That's a really great victory story and I celebrate it. Their gain is not my loss. Um, so these victory, victory stories, if we only celebrate them, what happens is those who are going through the second type of suffering, which is really awkward, called the deep roasting, 
we don't know what to do with it because all we're hearing is the light toasting, the victory stories. And when we're not getting the answer to our prayer, we go, what am I doing wrong, God? So the deep roast, it is not glamorous. It is a dissembling process. The suffering or the refiner's fire is prolonged enough to be painful, deeply painful, crushing, and, and strategically long enough to bring you to despair. Funnily enough, even Paul despaired. I think if we even Google what were the things Paul said, we might be quite shocked at how much struggle and suffering he went through. He pleaded with God three times, take this thorn of the flesh from me. And God said to him, my grace is sufficient for you. In the deep roasting, God gives you more than you can handle. It's a Job experience. And in this place, if Jesus doesn't turn up, the pain will crush you to death. I'll talk about this because, like I said, I want to honour people in this congregation and Africans that have experienced this and probably it's been a more difficult process because we don't talk about it. Our IVF experience, in the light of what I see in Africa, is nothing. And probably in the light of what some of you have gone through is nothing. But facing lifelong childlessness and 16 general anaesthetics and severe stretching about that creates on our marriage and our future hopes and dreams of having a child was big for us. So to expand on the deep roasting, I want it to encourage. And it has a gospel purpose. It is actually all about Priority Sunday, and that's priority of God getting us safe first. Um, so the two phases I think there happens in the deep roasting, there's a cooking phase. So there's a lot of dissembling and pain until we tire. There is not much peace. And it's until we break, till we rebel, till we crack, till we cry out, till we see our flesh that has no ability to praise God. The Bible says our fresh flesh cannot praise God. We see our flesh and we go, wow, I can't say though you slay me, I can serve you. I said that a lot for the first five cycles, six cycles. I said, that's it. None of that anymore, God. I don't know what you're doing, but it's cruel. And I don't understand. And now I'm, not, I'm really not happy. I've done the good Christian thing and now I've expired. And what God showed me in my expiring is that I am a sinner. I have flesh. And that, I'm, and that only God can save me from myself. It was like going back to Christianity 101 when I became born again. I didn't decide one day, it's a great day to be born again today. I might just turn over a new leaf. What the heck? Give this Jesus thing a try out. God came into my life while I hated him. I didn't even believe he existed. And he transformed my life. It was in his timing. It's the same with the deep roasting. It's actually in his timing. The peace eventually arise but not in the cooking phase i think the key is there's no, there is a struggle to find peace and the, and then in phase two the resting phase once you've been through the cooking phase and that pain of not knowing what on earth is happening to you that is when when jesus peace turns up you're like you know what your face is enough a day in your courts if i have your presence if i have you with me in this struggle that is not that is done that's what paul said he's like a day in your courts is worth a thousand years elsewhere. And the actual prayer remains unanswered. But I think God's purpose is actually complete. And God's prayer is actually complete because we have collapsed to his feet and we've given him everything and we've really realised the main thing is to seek his face. And as we pray, your face is enough. You have rescued me from myself. Then the deep roasting has done its work. But I just want to briefly touch on why, in why this type of deep suffering is so difficult in Australia versus Africa. Because I've, I've, I've observed it, the resilience they have in Africa and what goes on. And, um, and I, did, I just was like, I don't have that resilience, God. You need to give it to me. And I think it's because in Africa, from zero years old, they expect to go hungry, lose siblings, parents, 
Suffering in its deep depths is a normal part of life. They don't have electricity to watch the TV that tells them others have it better. I think what we observed, and I'm sure many others who are going through that struggle in Australia, is, be is because we run from suffering, I run from suffering, and it's hidden away, we aren't trained that well culturally. When we get onto Facebook um, and we see everyone putting their main stage, and there's nothing wrong with Facebook, but there is such a very real thing I heard a psychiatrist talking about called Facebook depression. And when we get on Facebook and the selfie culture, what it screams out to us is... I look good. Hey, everybody, come see how good I look. <laughs> but sometimes what we're advertising is, my life is good. And then we turn the TV on and it's like, hey, their lives are good. And then in Christian literature, with it sometimes its flavour of best life now, we hear in church, your life can be good. And so if we only ever hear the victory stories, if we're in that deep suffering place, we just think, I'm failing, what am I doing wrong? What is going on? And I think we have a view of what our life should look like as Christians because we do learn from others around us and looking around us. And we're all very vulnerable to the media and the world's brainwash, um, which creates what I think Zoe might have write on her Facebook about destination addiction. And I read it and I was like, that's so true. Destination addiction. By not talking and addressing suffering stories, we make it strange and it can make you feel like a failure if you don't get the victory. There was a lady, and I tell this story because I found it deeply confronting, in, in uh, uh, my, my brother's church in Sydney, and she had epilepsy. She prayed that the epilepsy would be healed. God chose not to heal it. She went on epilepsy, epilepsy drugs. She was bathing her toddler one day, and she drowned her toddler after having an epileptic seizure. She was in a church that was very solidly grounded in suffering teaching, and after the grief and the horror and the bad, just the her world collapsing, her and her husband, she, like Horatio Spafford, who wrote the psalm saying, it is well with my soul, that's her testimony, that she can say, I don't understand, but it is well with my soul. And that's a supernatural faith. That's like, oh, what a mighty woman of God. She's more special than me. I can't do that. I must be somehow lousy. No, she came to the end of herself where she went, that, that sort of faith doesn't exist unless God breathes it into you. And I think that's the dependency God wants us to have. So we don't start putting people on pedestals. We realise they're just the same as me. They're bro we're broken. We've got flesh. We just need to realise that and cry out. And beyond that, everything is out of our control. I loved when I went to Hillsong about eight years ago and there was a pastor who spoke, and I don't know his name, but he was actually his main ministry was healing. And he talked about watching his son die of leukemia. His son wasn't healed. And it was powerful because he's like, this is my testimony. I don't understand. But God has given me the ability to praise and trust him. I think if we spoke more about the refiner's fire and the things that don't seem to go right and the not-so-victory stories, we'd realise they are actually, in some miraculous way, victory stories. What I want to say is that that... We are given a faith when God gives us that faith in his timing. It can transcend that destination addiction. Joni Erickson is someone I found great comfort in who was a quadriplegic, is a quadriplegic woman. She prayed for many years for God to heal her and he, he chose not to. In After her struggle, and I love it because she's so raw about how angry she got at God and how she stopped talking to God and then God started showing her this powerful, he started th just the process I've talked to you about. 
And then with her mouth, she wrote 50 books on the topic. So if anyone's going through suffering, I think it's really worth reading her books because it's so respectful and safe and it's so liberating because it's not just 10 easy steps to success and blessing. It's, it's just it's what happened. Uh, also, uh, besides writing 50 books through her pain, she outreaches to the disabled communities all over the world. For the God of the mountain is still the God of the valley. Job, who was a man who suffered second to none, and says, The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. For the God of the good times is still a God of the bad times. He could prevent me and you from being thrown into a fiery furnace and Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, but he delights in joining us as the fourth man in the fire. In this university of pain and affliction, he teaches me to love him, not for the things he gives. I must be taught the heartbeat of genuine faith, that I should trust him like the psalmist, Though he slays me, yet I will trust him. I can't do that on my own. God knows that. I didn't do it. But God can give me the power. So the doctrine of suffering mustn't be frowned on. It is actually a jewel of great price. We can have a greater miracle sometimes by not having our actual prayer answered. And what Rich and I have learnt through our situation of accepting God's voice leading us into not having children has been horrible yet invaluable. What we've learnt is that I'm full of old man, that I am powerless, that it's not by might or by my by spirit or something, not by might or power but by my spirit, that I can't strive to earn God's favour, that in that dark place I can't go, oh, well, I'm just going to apply the scriptures, I'm going to read the Psalms, I'm going to claim it, I'm just going to get my joy back. It's like, actually, I just need to wait. It's in God's timing. I can't fax through the itinerary and say, this is the plan, God. I'm meant to have three kids by now. Like, and then we're going to take over the world. God's like, I have other plans. My ways are higher than yours. God loves and wants to create broken. It says he loves a broken and contrite heart. I love when I read that scripture when I was broken. I was like, ah, you love a broken and contrite heart. Just realize, how do you get a broken heart? Through crushing, repeated crushing, through humbling. I was like, that is really not glamorous. Like, that's painful. And God... God doesn't promise a happy ending on earth, but he promises his best for us, eternal happy ending, and also that we'll become more like him. And he promises he will join us in the fire. Only, only, only Jesus can breathe his life and resurrect you when you're in this place. And the refiner's fire is real and powerful. And Jesus' face, once the fire has done its work, is our greatest prize. Praying your will be done is actually faith-filled. You don't need to look at my itinerary, God. You can make the itinerary. Be careful what you pray over others because God may be doing something different. Recently, a friend of mine in Sydney, she lost someone dear to her and I remember speaking to her afterwards and she said, I think the hardest thing was is that all I got prayer for was miracles. All I was prepared prepared for was that person was going to be healed. So when they weren't, I was so confused. it It was really difficult for me. And then I felt lonely because I felt in some way I'd failed. Was it my faith? And I thought, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Avoid painful presumption to those who are in the suffering. I I went to a wedding a month ago and I was like, I've had a lot of things said to me and God gives you the grace because I've said some crazy things to people and I know (coughs) in this process Rich and I have been in, it's because people love us. They want the best for us. They want the light toasting. They want the victory for us and we want the victory too. And there's nothing wrong with praying and believing those things. 
But I had a gentleman come up to me and said, oh, so how many children have you got? And I sort of haven't worked out the right way to answer that question. It used to be very painful and I'd avoid it at all costs. And now I just, I don't know, I work it out at the, at the time. And uh, it was a Christian guy who said, how many kids you got? And I said, oh, well, actually, like, we don't have any children. We're just sort of coming to the end of a process where, you know, it, we don't know if God's going to give us children. And he just went, you have not because you ask not. And I was like, actually, if you knew how many Hannah prayers I've prayed and I nearly lost my mind, if you knew how dark it's been for Rich and I. But I was like, you know what, God, grace to that man. He doesn't mean it, but I think it was so unhelpful. But I just had my little helmet on where I was like, I'm, I'm just ignoring that God. That's, uh, that's irrelevant. But I just say it that we just need to be aware. And also the other thing was the most appropriate thing someone said to me during the process was we're grieving with you. That It says grieve with those who grieve. And really whether it be a husband or children for us, that there is a death, there's a grief. And I think sometimes we need to think about when we approach people, if someone's child had just died... Would we go up to them and say, oh, well, you know, God's works it all for good. I don't know if we would be that, aw- that, I don't know what the word is, to say, well, God works it all out for good. Sometimes our flippant comments for something that is still a funeral for others, it really doesn't help, I think. And, I, and I, that's my prayer is that I know that Eastgate, you guys have got massive hearts and I think a lot of you have been incredibly appropriate and supportive and but that's my prayer for Eastgate is that we keep growing in that a way that we can support people that are suffering so that they can feel safe. Um, and I think we do that quite well. Um, so now we're in the resting phase and we see that abiding in Jesus is true richness. We're actually blessed. Like I can now say, which I would have vomited before I said that, is that I can rejoice in this. It still doesn't make it easy. I still have to treat women that are pregnant in hospital, I had one the other day, and she's like, yeah, it's just so tough. And she was really down about being falling pregnant again. And I was like, I, thanks, God, I have a force field. You know, it doesn't. It still doesn't mean that we don't look at other people's children and have pain, but the thorn in the flesh, walking with him, carrying our cross, God will equip us. And I think that's where God can give us the daily ability. It's not just, boom, I've given you the pill. Now you're all going to be good. It's not going to hurt. But he, when we feel that pain or we feel that struggle, we can go, God, you know what? You're with me in this and I thank you. I'll ask for your peace. But we can transcend earthly pleasures and treasures. We can transcend destination addiction. I will be happy when I have a husband. I will be happy when I have a kid. I'll be happy when I'm healed. Jesus is enough. Jesus is in our fire. And Jesus is our destination. We have a glorious gospel. And it's not free and easy and breezy. It's meeting the greatest need in the human heart. The sin and shame that traps humans has a solution. It has a cure. And his name is Jesus. But he will ask of you your whole life, your dreams of husbands, your dream of kids, your homes, long lives, grandchildren, health, And he wants us to follow him, not to get blessings, but to rejoice to follow him because we are already beyond blessed. A child of God. I was an enemy of God. I hated God even though I I didn't even believe he existed. That we've passed from death to life. And that those great promises of never will I leave or forsake you. When you walk through the fire, I'll be there. That That is true riches. But we must remember it does cost our lives. This faith says you've been called not only to believe in him but to suffer with him. It says the present momentary affliction is preparing for us a glory, 2 Corinthians. 
this faith presents to us a history of men and women who didn't modify the cross to water it down, water down its offence, but follow the Lamb who said, in this world you will have many sorrows, John 16. It's, it is a faith of apostles who died by faith in Hebrews, a faith of Paul who endured the thorn in the flesh, Galatians 4. And that thorn in the flesh, he endured unanswered prayers for deliverance so he could boast in his weakness. And in the Christ who strengthens him, Philippians 4. What does the Saviour mean when he says to count the cost? Take up your cross daily and follow me. And this brings me to my second part. So maybe take some more Ritalin if you need it. Um, which is really our second passion. And that's a theme for Byron Shire, Burkina Faso, Congo and Casino. It's, it's everywhere. It's about the universal true gospel that saves when, when Jesus spoke to people, he said, go sell all you have to the rich young ruler and give to the poor. He knew that, that money, he couldn't give up money. He also says, he who wishes to keep his life will lose it. And he talked about counting the cost, and it costs everything. The true gospel that brings salvation costs everything. God, Jesus, loves us, but we are in trouble. When, before we come to be a child of God, we're actually an enemy of God, but he loves us. So our sin separates us from God, but he loves us. So he chooses, how can I have reconciliation between a holy God and sinful humans? I'll send my son. And then he made that son become a, a, a substitute for us. So then we say to people, we repent and surrender your whole life. You need a saviour and a Lord and cry out to God for mercy. The gospel isn't, he, he just wants to bless you, he wants to heal you, he wants to give you health, wealth and prosperity and just say this prayer and he'll fill you with his peace. This is only a half-truth and if it's only a half-truth, it makes it an untruth. My dad, as some of you know, especially when he first became a Christian, was a loopy Christian. We loved him, we loved his fervour, but the other day he was saying to me, oh yeah, I used to boast, I can get someone to say the sinner's prayer between here and Uncle Tom's. <laughs> because he'd just pull out the shiny brochure and say, and God will give you this and this and God will also give you this just say this prayer he didn't actually you know over time as we speak to people and I'm not saying boom we should give them like a half an hour fire and brimstone but if we give them the complete gospel over time when they say the sinner's prayer they understand what they're saying we haven't just given them the first page of the shiny brochure and then they sign up and they're like wow this isn't what I expected count the cost give up your life this is not in the brochure and um we need to tell the fine print, which is actually the most powerful part. And if we don't, we can create false converts. The cost is all you have, total surrender. But the true gospel is enough. Because mercy, reconciliation to a holy God. Go to India, go to Nepal, go to some of these countries where they're working really hard not to go into hell, not to be punished by God, not to have to do karma again. They work really, really, really hard. And I think we forget sometimes familiarity breeds contempt what we actually have. I do, like some of you know, do see occasionally people dying, but maybe, you know, and I get lots of chances to speak to them. And I spoke to a guy the other day, um, and what a massive blessing, what a good gospel we have on his deathbed, saying to him, do you know that you can't get your way to heaven? If you die now without Jesus, you'll be punished for your sin. But... Jesus sent me, Jesus sent me, but God sent Jesus to make a way. When they're dying, like he's pretty close to dying, I don't have time to think I'll work on relationship. So it's a different thing when they're actually dying. I had 10 minutes 
and he'd been moved into the dying room and I knew he is in and out of consciousness. I have a, a short chance. The joy for him to know that he doesn't have to fear death because he was afraid. I think the thing is we don't realise that there's a lot of people out there afraid that they're going to, when it comes to death, not when it's good, when, <laughs> when your life on Facebook looks good, you're not thinking about death. You're thinking about your next whatever. But when your will comes crashing down, then the gospel actually makes sense. So we don't need to advertise extras that may or may not be biblical. Reconciliation to a holy, just God. Salvation and peace with God. We forget the peace that passes and transcends understanding. That peace we have with God that even in the fire he's there. That is riches. In Africa and Australia, it is something that we're passionate about. We want to preach the true gospel that the good news comes after the bad news. So we don't sign people up for a glossy brochure. To pass from death to life is the greatest miracle. And the same with if we only preach physical healing, which none of us here do, but if if we only preach that, then it can be a sidetrack in the glossy brochure. But we don't actually see the greatest miracle is that they would come to know Jesus. If they have a sore knee and it gets healed, but they still don't know peace with God, it, it doesn't really mean much. And the greatest miracle is salvation. We have a hope, not a vague one-day hope. I think hope, it's funny, New Ages, a, a, a Buddhist friend of mine really doesn't like that word, hope. It's so, um, it's like you're not accepting something. She sees it as something that's sort of, um, it breeds discontentment. Um, but our hope is not a, oh, one day, you know, this is pretty crappy on earth. One day we're going to heaven. I'll just trudge along. Our hope is a daily hope. And our hope is a hope that will withstand the fire. We have God's peace, a now peace, a daily peace. And we have a saviour from our sin, death and punishment, forgiveness for sin and peace with God. Knowing his love is enough. And it's what the world's looking for. Romans 8.38 For I am convinced that neither death nor life, angels or demons, present or future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything, nor childlessness, nor the death of a child, nor great suffering in can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. So in final closing for First Priority Sunday, what is our mission priority and how can we do missions better? I do think, and I love this about God, it starts with your heart and my heart. It's not, oh, great, I finally got you sorted. I've got a whole list of things you've got to get busy doing. Just stop rolling around the fire too long. You know, I've got things for you to do, people to save. But God rests with us. In his timing, he sits with us. And as he resurrects us from death, as he brings our dry, breathes into our dry bones and puts flesh back on them, that is our testimony. Not that our prayers were answered. That is our testimony, even in the fire. And then we can start spreading it to others. How can we be effective at missions? Seeking his face. Finding rest for our souls in him and what we already have. And yes, being blessed too. Oh, I love to pray. Just yesterday I prayed for Rich because he had a cold. There was someone else I prayed for. You know, I love to pray for healing and God does heal. And I love to pray that people have breakthrough in their circumstances. I don't like seeing people suffer. Um, but we don't want to make that an idol. Let God be God. Meditate on what we already have, which is a saviour, a companion closer than a brother, who is in the fire and the valleys. Be aware of destination addiction if I just had. God knows your pain and he's on your side. And so my prayer today to inspire you to missions is to know how rich you already are, Romans 8, 38, what I just read, and how great a salvation we have 
We don't have to go to Mecca. We don't have to say uncertain rosary beads. We have salvation now. The thief on my cross, the, fa- the thief on the cross, the favorite thing I tell dying people is you're dying just like the thief on the cross. I can't say, what a shame I didn't get to you three days earlier when you were mobile because you could have gone to church, did some Hail Marys, maybe some confessions with the priest, a couple of good works. You might have got there. The, the, that's not what Jesus said to the thief. He said to the thief, today you'll be with me in paradise. And that is an incredible hope that religion can't offer. So for those in the deep roasting here and in Africa, we honour you and we want to stand with you and grieve with you. And may you know you're safe. And may we at Eastgate continue to be a safe place where you can talk about your struggles. And we, may we have more raw conversations. Are you okay? What can I pray for? How can I support you? Relax, trust God, everything is out of your control. Relax, trust God, everything is in God's control. Cling on to the real promises written in the Bible, not in an American TV evangelist preacher's book, 10 Easy Steps to Success. The real promises, never will I leave or forsake you. He will complete the work he started. They are powerful promises. And God will answer, my grace is enough for you. Know you're a sinner, you still have flesh. Resting and wrestling is the Christian journey of ongoing sanctification. You can't do it, surrender and wait. Let God be God, you're loved. God is dissembling, demolishing and resurrecting in his time. This is already your testimony. This is already our testimony. Habakkuk 3.17 is a prayer you can't pray unless God gives you the strength. So we can't boast, aren't I great? I can pray that prayer. Through, though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen or cattle in the stalls, yes, I will rejoice in the Lord. Horatio Spafford displayed this gift of trust, not because he was just a great man and, you know, one day we might be like him, because God was great in him. When he found out his wife and four kids had drowned when he was on a journey and his children were following, after the grief, I'm sure there was grief, he wrote the most famous hymn we sing today and it's called, It Is Well With My Soul. So we need to keep the main thing the main thing, which is Jesus. He is a person and our saviour and our God and we can enjoy this place of safety. And when your smouldering wick starts to light up in God's time and the light starts coming on and Jesus' face becomes the greatest prize, we can share this gospel with others. We can share this universal good news, incredible good news in Congo, Casino, Mullum and Myanmar that we have a God who walks with us in the fire and he is the fourth man in the fire.